Welcome, Maniffiners. If this is your first time joining us, then this is a place where listeners are invited to expand their God box with many epiphanies, embrace spirituality over religion, and actually walk out the two greatest commandments in life, or at least be inspired to. Inspired to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and inspired to love others as we love ourselves. If we have not met, I'm Alina Van Dyke. I'm your podcast hostess. Most episodes will be with just me, but sometimes we pull in guest speakers, and I hope to bring mindfulness and awareness to your spiritual life. And by that, I really mean your daily life, because here I believe that everything is spiritual. I believe that everything affects your relationship with God. This week is the perfect week to explain our whole intro on a much deeper, deeper level. I am the type of person that loves to go like 200 feet deep in every subject and figure out all the spiritual implications and the mental, emotional consequences and um, even physically how it affects our daily life. And so I'm somebody that looks at pretty much anything on like 10, 20, 30 different layers and everything goes super deep for me. Over time, that has meant um, I'm a little bit more sensitive than I used to be. I, as a wedding planner years ago, was like tough as nails. Like you couldn't shake me, you couldn't do anything. And now the heart of the Lord has just tenderized my heart as I've really connected with the Father and the way that He loves us. And I am a completely different person today than I was years ago. And really, I mean, it's funny because you grew up Christian, you think you know what Christianity is about, you think you know that Jesus died for you and that he loves you, but really when it when it pierces your soul on a deeper level and you really truly comprehend what it means to do exactly what we're going to talk about today, to pour out extravagant love at the feet of Jesus and then walk it out in daily life, there's... That's totally different, you guys. That is totally different than the golden ticket where you just say, Jesus, I believe in you and I'm going to go to heaven and I want to be with you someday and you just keep living your life. This is about actually making Jesus the Lord of your life. And that is a very different lifestyle, walk, um, way of doing things than I ever realized when I was 15, 20, anything like that. So here we are today. We want to talk about extravagant love and what that looks like. In the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel of Matthew, at least in those two places, I'm not sure if it's somewhere else, in Matthew 13 and in Mark 14, the Lord says that when Mary of Bethany poured out her love at his feet, washing his feet with her hair, taking a bottle of ointment and pouring it out at his feet, that what she did for him Anywhere the gospel was preached, people would talk about what she did. And so I want to challenge you today that there are so many churches, there are so many places that you could go to listen, to hear about Jesus and learn about the gospel and learn about what Christianity is all about. And my sincere question would really be, do they talk about that? Do they talk about what Mary did and what it means? And do they talk about Jesus being anointed and prepared for burial by her? Do they talk about what she did? If you want to read it for yourself, this story is located in John 12, verses 1 through 8, in Luke 7, verses 36 through 50, in Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13, 
and in Mark 14, verses 3 through 9. If you don't have a Bible or you don't know how to look it up, just go to BibleGateway.com and type in one of those things or search for it on Google. And Bible Gateway is awesome. You can pick tons of different translations. You can read it in tons of different ways and um, different ways that NIV versus ESV or different things like that. I personally love the ESV. My favorite Bible is the illuminated version because I have tons of spaces for notes. And so I write in my margins and highlight things and underline. If you're looking for a great Bible to just play with and have fun with, I I love this version if you are looking for one. But anyway, so I'm only going to read one of the versions, but then I'm going to kind of mention a couple different things. So I'm going to jump over to John. You're going to hear my Bible flip here for a second. You're hearing real pages and a real book. <laughs> um, okay. So John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So I just want to note really quick that a lot of people, if you don't read your whole Bible, if you don't read all four Gospels, and you're not even like, even if you do, but you're just not paying attention or you're not reading it fast enough. Um, and that sounds weird. I'm not saying you should read your Bible fast. I'm just saying that if you read it quick enough, then you'll catch different things that coincide in different books. And so things will hit you different because you'll be like, man, the Lord's talking about something, but I just read that over in that book. And you know, you make you connect the dots. And if it's been a really long time since you've read it, sometimes you don't catch all the different things and all the different facts that are in different ones. So I'd even encourage you to pull up all four of those versions and read them side by side and note how there's details that are different in each one. And the fun part here in John that I don't think is mentioned in the others is that we're recognizing that Mary, this Mary, is the sister of Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. So sure, you're talking about a woman who her brother died. She was grieving like crazy. She was weeping at his feet. That verse we talk about, Jesus wept. That's supposed to be the shortest verse in the whole Bible. That was him weeping with Mary when her brother died. So that's just right around this story. So now here she is. Lazarus has come back from the dead and she is pouring out her love at Jesus's feet. It says, so they gave a dinner for him at their house. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. If you've ever smelled really great, pure essential oil, it is like so fragrant. Like I just ordered some the other day, actually, and I put some on my wrist and it was made by a, a special friend out in California. And when I put it on my wrist all day long, I could smell it. It was so strong. It was like perfume. It's not just oil. We think of like essential oils, like different brands today or something, you know, maybe even the kind of, I'll say crappy versions that you find at the grocery store to put in a diffuser or something. That's like chemicals probably. We're talking real, true, pure perfume, like incense and anointing oils that would have been biblical. So they would have been pure. They would have been strong. This would have definitely filled the entire house. It was expensive, pure nard. Next verse. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, 
said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So note, that's like a year's wages. So Judas is looking at this and going, I could have got a cut of that. We could have used that money for something else. And instead, she just wasted a year's wages and poured it out on your feet. And this is ridiculous. That was her probably dowry to get married. And it would have paid for things. And it probably would have been left by their parents for her as the thing that would have just set her up for the rest of life if she ever got into a tough situation. Or like if Lazarus would have stayed dead, she would have absolutely had to sell that in order to survive and cash that in, in order to not have to go into a bad line of trade like prostitution. And so in that day, this would have been her insurance policy. It would have been her dowry. It would have been the main thing that secured her place in life. And she takes it and she opens it up, and she pours it out on Jesus's feet and head and anoints him. And Judas is pissed. (laughs) And so he said this, speaking of Judas, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And so there's a little note there from John telling us what was really going on. But Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Now, the story in the Gospel of Mark is really similar. It also mentions the people standing around going, why did she do this? It's so much money. We could have given that to the poor. And Jesus basically defending her and saying, leave her alone. What she did was beautiful, and I'm so pleased with her. But in the Gospel of Luke is where we actually hear that she did all that. So jumping over to Luke 7, it says, Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now in this, it interrupts and it talks about what happens and the interactions between the Pharisees and Jesus and stuff. But I'm going to jump down to, I guess, the end of verse 44. This is Jesus speaking. Do you see this woman? I entered your house, talking to the Pharisee. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So today, we're going to break that down a little bit. I wanted to be able to read it for you because a lot of you guys listen in the car, you're out and about. It's not like you can pull this Bible verse out and read it while you're driving. Um, So sorry to those of you that were at home following along and you're like, well, yeah, Lena, it's right in front of me. Um, We're going to talk about four different things in relation to this for those of you that are taking notes or want to know how far we're headed into this. (laughs) Um, We're going to talk about betrayal and the opinions of others. We're going to talk about her faith, the fact that Jesus said, your faith has saved you. We're going to talk about how she loved much and how that related to being forgiven much. And 
And the other half of that kind of is how she really went all in. You guys have heard me use that phrase, and I talk about it a lot, that we need to go all in with the Lord, put all of our chips in, rely 100% on Him. And Mary is an epic example of that. And I think that's why it's important to talk about this and why Jesus said that wherever the gospel is preached, we need to talk about this. And all of these are connected. They're kind of going to go full circle and touch on each other. But part one, the opinions of others. Mary is absolutely attacked from all sides. Everyone thinks what she's doing is wrong. In previous stories, we heard about Mary and Martha interacting and that Martha, her sister, isn't happy with her because she's just sitting at Jesus's feet and she's not helping Martha prepare and plan the party and serve food or whatever it is that Martha is doing. And in this story, we hear people against Mary again with Judas accusing her of waste, of the Pharisees accusing her of waste, of people calling her a sinner and a woman of the city, of saying bad things about her and and taking her old reputation and the old her and holding it up against her. And Jesus isn't doing that at all. He's saying, look at how much she's loved me. And I think for those of us that came out of a really dark, um, I want to say sinful life, but really not even that, just recognizing we were lost, truly recognizing that our past pre-encountering the living God, that we were messy, that we were lost, that we were sinful, that we were looking to fill that God-shaped hole with drugs or alcohol or entertainment or working all the time, whatever it was that you tried to fill that God-shaped hole with, pre-encountering the living God, I mean, when you encounter him, it changes you. And so when you look back at your life and you look at yourself five years ago, 10 years ago, prior to meeting the Lord, and you look at how much he's changed you and how much you've opened your heart up to him and been enlightened by reading the Bible and encountering him in the day-to-day, then I would hope and think that you would be overwhelmed with gratitude, that you go, I'm not that person anymore, and I'm so thankful. I'm so much more peaceful. I'm so much more filled with joy and contentment. I trust and feel secure that the Lord has my back, that he knows where I'm headed. Even when life is confusing and hard things come my way, I get to rely on the Lord and walk with him every step of the way. And I know that he is with me. I am not alone. It is that kind of gratitude that Mary has welling up within her and she is overwhelmed when she is pouring out her love at his feet weeping. That kind of behavior gets attention. That kind of behavior causes a scene. That kind of behavior is impossible to ignore. A woman weeping, 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 pouring out strong smelling perfume. The whole house would have known. It's possible that she was, like, we have no idea, but it's possible that she was weeping in a way that you know, the neighbor next door could hear. It's not like they had windows back then. Um, But over the commotion of a party, I doubt there's anyone in that entire house that was unaware of what was happening in that room. And so here we are today thinking that 
our relationship with the Lord or our relationship with Jesus, for so many people, it's just like going to church on Sunday. It is not an extravagant act of love that everyone is aware of what you're doing. Not everyone is aware that you're a Christian. Not everyone is aware that you are head over heels in love with the Lord, the creator of the universe who formed you in your mother's womb and has a plan and purpose for your life. You might not even think of the Lord that way yet. You might be in a place where you go, yeah, I know I'm supposed to be Christian and I'm this is the right thing or whatever. And I had a moment with the Lord way back when, but really, I don't know if I know him. This is a moment to re-inspire you to go all in and say, if you truly go, Lord, really people like pour out their love at your feet. Like there was somebody that was so moved by what you had done for her that she caused that big of a scene and took all of her money, like really her retirement plan, her dowry, the only security that she had, and she cracked it open and she poured it out on your feet. Really, Lord? She trusted you that much? She relied on you that much? She was that in love with you? And not people twist it and they think like in love, like romantic love, not like that at all, but just that she trusted him. She loved him. She saw that I love the way the chosen says it. Like I was once one way and then I met him and now I'm this way. That's the story of the cross is that we are epically changed. We were this way. Then I met him. Now I'm this way. That was a life-changing moment to go from A to B, I am a completely different person. That is the faith that Jesus is referencing, that he turns to her and he says, your faith has saved you. The Greek word that Jesus is using for faith here is pistis. In Strong's, if you're going to look it up, it's G4102. And that is a conviction of the truth of anything. It's a belief. So it's Mary truly trusting with fervor that Jesus is the Messiah. It's the belief that God is in Christ. It's fidelity. It's faithfulness. It's a deep conviction that right before her eyes, is sitting the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I, I'll just say again, I think this is part of the reason why Jesus said this gospel should be, ple- like anywhere the gospel was preached, that her story needed to be told. Because I think that we think that faith is like, oh yeah, I, I believe that, well, and I don't even mean like faith like Jesus died for me. I mean faith like, like even that my kids will be well or that, this will happen or that I'll have a job to go to tomorrow. Like any belief that you have can be flighty. And this is like a deep conviction and know that you know that you know that you know that this is the one and only way to live your life, that Jesus is going to be the Lord of your life and that you're going to give him literally everything, all of who you are. You're going to go all in. You're going to give him all of your retirement plan, you know, all of your security. In other words, you're not going to lean on your own understanding about how to live your life and the best way to be safe. You're going to rely on him. 
And I think this is so topical for today with COVID and with everything that's going on. We have all these different ways that we are leaning on our own understanding to stay safe, to keep our jobs or find a job that like the basic things right now are being shaken. And so the basic things right now, we have concepts and ideas of the right way or the wrong way to stay secure. And I I turned to my mom the other day and I said, okay, let's just hypothesize. Let's say I don't have a job and I'm looking for a secure job right now. What would you recommend I do? Because my mom's been basically doing like, um, how do I explain this? Like career advising for students for years and years and years. And so, um, so I said, what would you recommend? And she's like, you know, this job is secure and this job is secure and this job is secure. And I start listing and going, you know, mom, when COVID kind of shut everything down, the only job that was secure was like groceries. Everyone that I know was on hold. Education was closed down. I mean, post office probably kept going. It was like packages and groceries. That was about it. Cause then everybody started ordering from Amazon. Right. So my point is to say that even the jobs that we think are secure, even the lifestyle that we think is secure, anything that we have put our trust in, institution-wise, job-wise, community-wise, the only thing that will not be shaken is our faith and our relationship with God. And so we hold tightly, we cling to Him, we pour out our love at His feet, and it'll change us. It'll change our lives. The amount of peace that you can feel in the midst of a storm is unreal when you are truly laying out everything at Jesus's feet and saying, the only thing that matters is that you are pleased with me, Lord. And so you tell me where to put my money, where to put my time, how to feed into my kids and change them and raise them up in the way that they should go. Because the bottom line is that the only thing that we can take with us to eternity is the people around us. Everything else gets left here. And so when God says to store up treasures in heaven, sometimes, I mean, there's lots of different ways you have rewards and all this complicated stuff, but, but at the very basic level, it is your community around you, friends, family, coworkers. Those are the people that you get to take with you to heaven. If you share with them the gospel and I'm not talking even honestly about like preaching at people. I'm actually talking about living an example the way that Mary did. She had this moment, this one moment in her life where she got to take everything, a year's wages, her dignity, the fear of what people would think, like this list. I'm like, the list could keep going. I'll stop. Um, That she took all of it in her hands And she handed it to Jesus publicly and she poured out her love on his feet in front of everyone. And she would have been known for that forever. You know, like people would have been pointing, probably walking down the road, like she's the one that did that. There's no going back. Once the whole community sees you weep and cry and pour out your dowry, like every guy in town now knows there's no dowry left. So she, she laid it all on the line for him. And the most beautiful part of the story to me is that Jesus didn't ask for that, but that she did it out of the true overflow of her heart and the desire to 
do whatever she could. She must have, you know, sat in her room and been like, what am I going to do for this man to say thank you for raising my brother from, from the dead, for what he's done in my life, for the way that he's changed me. I am a different person today than I was before. If she was known as a woman of the city and a sinner, then she probably had that reputation and she had changed. And so if that's true, then she was probably sitting there going, what can I do to show him how much I care and how much I love him and how thankful I am? And she decided to do this. It wasn't for a reward. It wasn't for accolades. It wasn't to look cool in front of other people. It was a private moment just between him and her for the whole world to see. She put that private moment on display. And that's what I'm talking about when it comes to sharing the gospel, is that you would just tell people and be honest about the way that the Lord has changed your life. It will set you apart, which is bringing me to the betrayal topic. The opinions of others, I mean, they really came against Mary and they were like, what are you doing? And Jesus is the one that defends her. And I think it's important to remember that the Lord is our defender, that he's the one that that we are living for an audience of one. So we're living for his eyes and not for everyone else's thoughts or opinions. But it really set her apart. And I mean, I don't have to talk about Mary and talk about us and say, when we choose to lay our life on the line, when we choose to hand everything over and go all in, there are going to be people that don't understand. There are going to be people that don't um, support it, that aren't ready for it, that don't, don't even get it. And I can say that from personal experience. And I was surprised who supported me going to the International House of Prayer and who didn't. Because really, I did this Mary moment. I took like practically like a year's wages, two years wages, um, moved to Kansas City, was there for two years, really just pouring out myself at the feet of the Lord and taking an inventory. Those of you that are in 12-step programs know what it means to take a personal inventory and look at everything. And I really took an inventory of my life and said, where, where did I not fully rely on the Lord? Where did I move in my own strength and my own might and my own power instead of relying on him? Where did I not trust? Um, where was I sinful? All of these things. And I just handed it all to him. And it's what he said, that because she loved much, she was forgiven much. When you realize, wow, Lord, like I did all these things in my own strength and my own power and my own wisdom and my own understanding, and I have failed. Like I... I thought that I was doing the best I could, and I was, and every man does what's right in his own eyes to the best of his ability, but now I can look back being older, wiser, more experienced or whatever and go, man, I really messed up, and I could have done life differently. Um, I could have relied on you more, or I could have trusted you more, Lord. Um, Man, there are so many moments. I used to say that if I didn't, cry and at Jesus's feet every day that it was a bad day. So like there for a season, it was like every single day, there better be tears. And to me, that meant 
um, that I was tender enough to actually get to a deep place with him. Because most of the time we're so busy, 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 going, 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 that we're actually not really sitting at God's feet or sitting with our Bible and really opening up our heart. Sometimes we're just going through the motions. And I just refused to do that. I, I refused to let myself go through the motions. So if I couldn't go deep, it was like, go big or go home. I'm not doing it unless I go all the way. And, and now that that's been, I don't want to say drilled into me, but now it's become a habit. So, you know, five minutes and my heart is tender, not even turn on a worship song and I might be tearing up. Like I've changed so much from who I was three years ago because I dedicated myself to understanding these four sections in the Bible, what it truly meant to pour out extravagant love, to give Jesus everything, to not care what people thought, to not be worried about their betrayal or what they were going to do afterwards, to rely on my faith that I know that he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, to love him and learn how to love him so that it will overflow out of me onto others, that I will learn to love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then therefore love others and myself with that same passion and depth and compassion that I've learned from him and absorbed from him so that it can be spread across to my whole community and how to go all in, how to hand him everything that I would rely on in the world, in the worldly mindsets, and instead go, here you go, God, you know what I need next. This is going to sound really strange, but I think we're in COVID world. So I hope that you guys will understand this for a second. You know, we have this idea that we need to save or we need to do this or whatever. And money is probably the number one thing that stands against um, fully trusting God, I think. I think for a lot of people, um, we just, whether we hoard or we're living paycheck to paycheck, we think money is the only thing that we like need for security. And I, I just want to tell you two stories really quick as like kind of a personal testimony to that. Because one... I have traveled a ton this year and in my travels, I have had so many people generously give to me, whether that was buying me meals or um, even sending me money or just doing different things to support what they knew I was doing. And, and you know, like if I go over to somebody's house, it probably isn't costing them that much to make one more serving of spaghetti so I can eat at their house. But to me, that's saving me the money or the time or the effort of going out to eat or whatever. And so to me, I was greatly blessed by all these little tiny things. And those little tiny things make a huge, huge difference. And I received big, generous gifts as well. Somebody gave me $1,000 out, out of the blue once, and it was such a gift to me. And I knew that I knew that I knew that it was an answer to prayer and it was the answer um, from the Lord that he was watching out for me and he was taking care of things. Um, but in my head, I was still thinking I needed a certain amount of money coming in every day or I needed this or I needed that. And really, I got to the point where I started really breaking it down and going, Lord, you know how much money is on my bank account. You know how much money I need. And you know what's coming up tomorrow, next week, whatever. You know, I might think, 
I need groceries for next week and I'm ready to go go to the grocery. This would literally happen to me. Like I'm going to ready, get ready to go to the grocery store to go buy groceries. And the Lord's like, don't. And I'm like, why? Like I need this. I'm thinking I need this. And then within a few days, it's like, oh, I'm traveling again. And if I would have bought groceries, they would have been rotting in my fridge and I wouldn't have been able to take them with me. So it's like this, this concept and these ideas of like what we think that we need, we don't. That seems really simple and counterintuitive at the same time, because really he knows what's coming up tomorrow, next week, the week after. Just trust him. Trust that there's a reason to go to the grocery store or not to go to the grocery store. Trust him with how much is in your bank account. Trust him with what you're doing today. I, I typically, I try to say the same prayer every morning that the Lord is in charge of my agenda and my timeline for the day. And I just hand him my calendar and I'm like, you're in charge wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whoever you want me to interact with, just guide my steps, lead me in the right place at the right time. And you know, when I used to do business meetings on a regular basis, I would even, <clears throat> I am, I am late all the time for people that are early. I'm sorry. It is really genuinely not to be disrespectful of people's time. That is just not my thing. I'm, it seems like I'm always just a couple minutes late. That's my, it's one of my bad habits, I guess. But in the midst of that, I'd be like driving there and I'd be like, Lord, I pray that you would align our timelines. So if I'm going to be three minutes late, I pray that they are also three minutes late and that we are perfectly timed to get there at the right time. And sure enough, it'd be like, we're both getting there at the same time. There's no line at Starbucks or whatever, and it's easy to get our coffee quickly and everything's efficient and smooth. And it's like, if we would have been early, we would have been waiting in line anyway for five minutes and everything just works out. And you go, wow, Lord, like you really are in charge of every single detail. And he does, he cares about everything. It's easy for me to get off on a tangent about how much God loves you. So I'm going to reel myself back for a second and go back to the story. I want to end with this. Um, I know I touched on it, but I just want to dive a little bit deeper here at the very end before I pray about the idea of how she loved much. And I'm going to go back to Luke 7. Jesus's reply to Simon the Pharisee was that a certain money lender had two debtors. This is verse 41. And that he owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. And Jesus asked, now which of them will love him more? And Simon answers, the one I suppose for whom he had canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. When we think that we are right and we are prideful and self-righteous, and we don't see a reason why we would need to be forgiven. We don't see a reason why the debt that we owe the Lord would have a big impact because we think we're just a pretty good person. Then we don't really love the Lord very much. When we're in that mindset, we really don't see why him dying on the cross was a big deal. We don't see why it matters that we caused other people pain. True love comes from a place of humility because love is not selfish. Selfish love is self-seeking and self-serving and it's not true love. True love is giving and serving and 
putting yourself as second to someone else. It's putting someone else first. And that's what we do with the Lord as well as with each other. That's what we should do, at least. If we're trying to follow in Jesus's footsteps, then he loved us first. He laid down his life for us. And extravagant love like Mary offered him got his attention in a way that he said what she has done will be told in memory of her everywhere, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world. And I'll just note this for a second. People ask, like, what is the gospel? They think it's like telling people that Jesus died for them. But the gospel that Jesus proclaimed was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which today sounds like turn away from all the things that you're doing now to encounter the living God who is right here, right now, available to meet with you, available to encounter you, listening to you. He's present with you and he wants to change your life. If you will humble yourself before him and seek his face and his direction. If you will place him the Lord of your life and choose to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, even though you don't know how yet, even though it'll take a while to figure it out, if you make that choice and you say, today, I will choose to do this, then he will help you with step two through 50,000. <laughs> you just have to make the first step because he gave you the free will to choose him or not choose him. And so if you will turn away from distraction, turn away from the wicked things of this world, turn away from pouring out your love on everything other than God, then he will wrap his arms around you and say, welcome home, my child. Just like the prodigal son story that we talked about a couple episodes ago, he is ready and waiting and has his eye on the horizon, just waiting for you to turn towards him so that he can run towards you. He's so near and so close and desires to be so close to you. He's not far. He's not a God far off. He's not an idol with no eyes and no ears. Our God sees, he hears, he's present, he's active, he's living, he is alive today. And all he wants is your full attention. So Lord, I ask that for every single listener, that you would encounter them, that you, the living God, as you, the Lord, live, that you would touch them today, that you would bring divine serendipity into their lives, that you would send angels even to come and wrap their wings around them and protect them from all of the distraction and the discouragement of this world right now, all of the chaos and confusion that has come to surround the planet, all the division that has come, Lord, I ask that instead every listener would be able to find a secret quiet place with you and hear your voice so clearly that you would confirm to them that you love them, that you're with them, that you're for them, and that you want their love their undivided attention, that you want a personal relationship with them. I know that's not a phrase in the Bible, but it works so well for our common language, Lord. I ask that you would join them in an intimate communion, that they would truly know who you are, that they would come to know your character, that they would come to know 
what it means to be loved by you. And Lord, as you pour out your love on them, because you loved us first, Lord, I ask that they would feel your love, recognize it, have eyes to see it and ears to hear it, and that they would turn away from every distraction, from everything that is vying for their attention right now. And instead, Lord, that they would turn their eyes to you, that they would seek you with their whole heart, that they would ask for things, that they would knock on every door, that you would give them the desires of their heart, that you would prove yourself as living and active in their lives. And they would know the joy of what it means to go all in like Mary went all in. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let it be. If this miniphany, this episode, has inspired you or given you a mini epiphany, then I hope that you will share it with a friend. And if your app is still open, please click subscribe. Please reach out. I really want to act, interact with you guys on Instagram or Facebook, or you're welcome to DM me or leave me a message at miniphanies.com. And hopefully I will hear from you sooner. But if not, um, until next time, Minifners, from the bottom of my soul, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>